Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 148. I'm Art Regner. And a little bit different Red and White Authority today. Our guest is going to be Scotty Bowman. But before we get to Scotty, I want to remind you that the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, summer, spring, or fall, it's always a good time after a long, hard day of work to cozy up with a nice, ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, and we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. Uh, some of you may know that uh, I am one of the co-hosts of the uh, Word on Woodward. It's a live streaming show where we focus in on news about the Red Wings and the Detroit Tigers. And uh, last week we had Scotty Bowman on and uh, it turned into quite a conversation. As a matter of fact, uh, we had 15 minutes slated and Scotty and I talked for about 55 minutes. So what we decided to do was to take the entire conversation and turn it into a podcast, a Red and White Authority podcast, as I said, episode 148. So without further ado, let's bring in whom I believe is the greatest coach in all of sport history, Scotty Bowman. Good, Art. Good to be on. You know, I, I want to go back to when you came to Detroit. Uh, I know your affiliation with Jimmy Devolano, who was the general manager at the time, uh, went all the way back to your days in St. Louis where you were the coach of the Blues. You were the coach for that iconic, uh, and the Blues side, for the iconic Bobby Orr photograph when he scored the game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup Finals. But your affiliation with Devolano, was that, how instrumental was that to bring you to coach the Red Wings? Well, you're right. Uh, Jimmy and I were talking about it we had dinner the other night he's still in sarasota florida and on his way to detroit in a couple a couple of weeks i think but we were talking about the fact that uh, we had a a group of people that were uh, rewarded for for having a good first year and uh, the owners of the team brought the all of the players and their families and their scouts and everything and jimmy was only a part-time scout in toronto Every 1968, we, we met in uh, Miami, Florida. The, the uh, Solomons that owned the team, they owned a, a small hotel called the Golden Strand. Uh, was just outside of Miami, uh, around a place called Hollywood, Florida. And uh, they brought everybody for 10 days. And uh, they owned a hotel with uh, Joe Garagioli, Garagiola, and Stan Musial. The three of them owned a hotel. It wasn't a big hotel. But they, they let the team take over the hotel. It was in probably early May. So I met Jimmy and uh, I went on to Montreal, of course, after four years. And he went on to the Islanders. And, and then he um, contacted me and uh, I just was with Pittsburgh. And uh, I was in a little bit of a dispute over a contract. And uh, he knew about it because we kept talking to each other. So he called and said that uh, they wanted to make a change. and. Uh, I didn't know a lot about Detroit, except they were one of the best teams in the West. They were a great offensive team. Uh, I was with Pittsburgh and we were in the East, so it didn't, didn't play them very often. And uh, I didn't know a lot about them, but I knew Jimmy and uh, the rest is kind of history. You know, with, th with that said, and I think that's what's amazing. The Red Wings were an offensive juggernaut, as you just said. But when you walked in, I mean, you immediately knew that you had to change the culture where they had to be more of a team that could play the 200-foot game and just not think offense, offense, offense in order to get that Stanley Cup. 
Well, they had had a playoff series that was always curtailed because, Art, you know, when you get in the playoffs, of course, it's a lot different. Uh, you're matching up as much as seven games over a two-week period, and uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But, you know, it's, it's such a different game because players don't play the same as they do during the season. Uh, they know that there's no tomorrow, so the offense is important, but defense starts to really come into play, and... Uh, I think it's it's proven in the NHL, even the great teams uh, before us, uh, like, for instance, the the earliest one was uh, before us, I think, was Edmonton. They'd won about four or five times in a row uh, in, in about five-year span. And Edmonton was a great offensive team, but when they got in the playoffs, they, they, they knew how to play defense. And uh, that, that was the, the secret that I... I had studied, I said, this is a team that could score at will, but when they got in the playoffs, I think they learned their lesson uh, from uh, early in the first uh, part of the 80s. Uh, the Islanders, when they won their four in a row, uh, they the uh, Oilers met them on the fourth win in a row, and the Oilers were, were shut down. They were they were beaten by the uh, by the Islanders, and uh, but the Islanders were a team that was built on, on a team play. It was really good offense, but with the coach they had, the late Al Arbor, he had played for me at St. Louis. He was a defensive, really top-notch defensive defenseman, had a checkered career in the NHL until expansion. And uh, Al Al knew the importance because he, he, he won a few cups with Toronto. He wasn't uh, a regular, but they used to bring him up from the minors and he saw how they won. So he, he had a good formula with the Islanders and uh, the, he, he proved it in, the, in, the, in that era. And then the Oilers took over. So when I got to Detroit, I knew that they had the offense. They had they had the center ice position pretty well locked up with both Steve Eiserman and, and Sergei Fedorov. It would be tough for teams to match up. There wasn't very many. There was a, just a couple that could really put centermen like that on the ice. So we got we got playing good defense. We got some pretty good goaltending in the playoffs, as you know, winning the three cups when I was there with three different goalies. Of course, uh, Mike Vernon and. Chris Osgood and Dominic Hoshek. So defense became, a, I, th I don't think we just played all out defense, but we played a, we, we played a puck possession game. And I think we were more like the way the Russian uh, national team used to play. We had five of them at one time on our teams, but I think um, they, their, their philosophy was if we have the puck and we're making the right plays and not giving it away foolishly, we're, that's going to be our defense, and and that's that's what we were able to do with the Red Wings. We had enough. Well, we had great defensemen like Nick Lidstrom, and and we and and of course uh, we had we had the forwards that could score. But uh, we played a team game, and I think that was the reason the team was successful. You know, I I, I want to you've spurred so many. I want to get into the Russian five here in a second, but I want to <laughs> talk about. I, I've always said that one of the hallmarks or what. What you know, the Red Wings had Steve Eiserman and Sergei Fedorov, and you just touched upon it at center. They played together for 14 years. I consider them to be two of the top four centers in the world, in the entire world at the time, on the same team. I don't know if that made it easier for you to coach, but it certainly, as you just touched upon, made it very tough for teams. It was almost like pick your poison. What are you going to do? Try to shut down Eiserman? Are you going to try to shut down Sergei? Yeah, I'd I'd come I'd come from the Pittsburgh team in ninety and ninety one and ninety one ninety two, 
and uh, that team with Mario Lemieux, and then when we made we made a terrific trade to get Ronnie Francis. So oh yeah, that, that, and then they also signed Brian Trottier, who was a veteran that could play a lot of good defense and had, had won cups with the Islanders. So with Sergey and and uh, and Steve, the the biggest rival, of course, we had, and they were proven to be really tough rival because of what they had would be the Colorado Avalanche with both Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg. So, you know, right. there was, I'd say Detroit and, well, we'd owe for about five or six years when, when either, whoever won the cup, it usually went through either Detroit or Colorado. So it was center ice position. It's still the, the premier position. I think when you have a couple of them, we look at uh, Pittsburgh now with the uh, Malkin and Crosby and, and uh, you know, you, you go through the different teams and they're, they're, if they get the center ice position locked down and uh, we were fortunate, we, we picked up, as you know, in a trade uh, for uh, Igor Larionov and that was a big factor, uh, even though Igor was 37 when we got him. He still had a lot left, and he proved it with with being on those three cup teams. and And I think the other part that we got to mention is uh, before I got there, uh, they, I think it was Doug McLean and uh, both Brian Murray and Doug. They they picked up uh, Chris Draper from Winnipeg in a very right. a very unusual deal, as you know. Often <laughs> talked about kidding kidding Chris that he we got our dollars worth uh, out of him, but no, that's that was only a joke that. Uh, they had to. They, they 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 got they got his release, and they had to they had to make it official. So they they had to put a dollar on the table. But so I think with those four centers, with um, the fact that Chris uh, that that line was so important for our, our our performance with Kirk Malpe, we got him in another deal with uh, Edmonton. He had uh, played with their farm team, and we had a defenseman that we weren't going to sign, Dan McGillis. And I remember calling Jimmy and Kenny about it and saying, you know, we got a chance to get a player. We were gonna, we weren't gonna sign him. So all those factors really helped. But the four centermen, uh, Chris was a great worker and a, a really shutdown type of guy. And of course, you know, Steve and Sergey, what they were like. And Igor came in, and uh, I think he was the last piece of that uh, puzzle with uh, getting uh, Fatisov. Uh, we already had when I got to Detroit, they had drafted very smartly in the late, I think it was the 89 draft uh, that they right. got both Konstantinov and Lidstrom and, and then Fedorov. And I think when you look at that draft, uh, I, I remember when teams wouldn't, I was on I was on the other side. Nobody wanted to take any players from Russia because they thought it was a waste of a draft pick. So getting the first two and then Slava Kozlov came along as a young player from Russia and uh, you know, then we got three, and then uh, we, we were trying to upgrade our defense. I don't think any of us thought about getting five of them. Five of them. We had three of them, and then it just happened that um, Slava Fatisov was available. He wasn't playing in New Jersey, and I had a good relationship with uh, Lou Lamorello. He had he had come into the NHL from Providence. He was the manager. Um, it was the uh, athletic director and the coach of the team. Unusual back in the early '80s. And uh, when I was in Buffalo, we had a, a young player, Orla Orlando Gates, that played for Lou. And one thing that people don't know about Lou Lamorello is every time he got a player that was, uh, say, rated to go in the NHL or go pro, he always looked after his first contract for the player. 
And even though the player would, was thinking about getting an agent, it was a little different in those days. The college players didn't have agents. You weren't allowed. Now they kind of get around it with a family advisor. But Lou, Lou, I met him the first time by when we had um, in Buffalo. I was we, we had drafted Orlando Gates, and uh, he should have been a better player. We didn't treat him the right way, and he went to Europe. But that I remember, I had a good relationship with Lou. And I called him and I said, you got a defenseman that's not dressing. He was like number seven or eight. And Lou, Lou was a kind of tough negotiator, but he really right. liked the fact that Slava and Kasatonov came over from Russia. They were the first two, I think, real good Russian players. So he, he more or less wanted to make sure that, that uh, he wasn't going to use uh, Slava, but he, he tried to put him in a good place. And we, we, we didn't, we, we ended up paying, I think, a third, a third round draft pick, but it proved out to be, uh, you know, a, a real piece of the puzzle. So uh, that team was uh, a, a combination. In fact, I got a call last night. It's odd that you called today, uh, Art, because uh, I got a call uh, from Darren Pang. He was with Joey Koser, and they they, they oh. both have a cottage. They have a cottage in at the uh, cottages beside each other in Duck Lake. I never even knew where Duck Lake was, and. And then um, Darren says, "Well, you know where Duck Lake it's, it was near the Oakland Airport where we used to leave when I uh, leave from." And uh, yeah, Joey Joey was reminding me. He said that was the best call he ever got in 1996. Uh, I called him. He was in San Antonio, Texas, playing in the International League, and I mentioned the guy's name. I said, "I know Joey, but we we both owe a, a lot of thanks to a guy named Jerry Voigt and Bob Moran." Who ran the All right. ran that store, and you know, because I used to go in there, and a lot of the NHL, Nick Littrum went in there. I think I think it started with Steve Eiserman. He was very friendly. I was one of his good friends when he got to Detroit. Uh, Bob Moran and Jerry Vote was his his uh, sales manager, and I used to go in there and get my get my vehicles uh, oil changed and get them uh, fixed up. And one day I went in, and and, uh, and that's when Jerry Vote said to me. Uh, Scotty, there's a guy who used to play for Detroit. He wants to make a comeback. He's playing in the beer league in Detroit. And he said, you might know of him. And I knew of Joey. I mean, I didn't, I didn't right. know, you know, uh, I didn't know much about him. I said, well, he's retired now. He said, no, he wants to try out. So he, um, I said, well, where's he going? So he went down and he said he feels good enough. He went down to play two weeks in the international league in, in San Antonio and, uh, I think we did send somebody down to look at him, and it looked pretty good. And we were looking for some strength and size up front. And uh, all of a sudden, Joey came in and he said, "You know, well, we know what he did too, because with uh, with uh, both uh, Chris Draper, Car uh, Malpe, and uh, Darren McCarty, and then later on, uh, McCarty moved on a different line. And when Joey came in, so all those pieces fell together for a team that, uh, you know, it was a." a, a the players were there, like Eiserman and Fedorov and Lidstrom and Kozlov and and guys like that. And we, so you know, Dino Cicerelli was an important player. Unfortunately, didn't get in on the cup wins because we had made changes. But the, they had good offensive players. But the, we needed to we needed to get players like uh, like I said, Draper, Malpe, um, McCarty, uh, and we were. And then of course we got Brendan Shanahan, as everyone knows. When Keith Primo didn't want to sign, and uh, that was another story art with uh, Keith Primo, it was a <laughs> tough, tough situation because when he wouldn't, he wanted a big contract, and 
we couldn't give it to him at that time. And uh, Mike Illich, uh, the owner, the late Mike Illich, I mean, that was one of his really favorite players at the time, rightly so. He was a, a draft pick that was big center. And uh, and he said, he's not going anywhere. If he, I don't care if he doesn't play the whole year. We're not, we're not getting rid of him. So, and, and then all of a sudden, Brendan Shannon wanted to leave uh, the, the Carolina team. And, uh, and I, I, I remember going to, to both Mike and, and Marion and Jimmy and Kenny Holland was, was, was with, was with the, our organization as, as the head scout and assistant GM, but he was staying out West. And, and we talked about it and I said, you know, we got an asset. Um, it looks, it looks like it's not getting any better. We're not going to be able to sign him. It's going to be a tough player to sit out for a whole year. And uh, I, I said to Mike, there's a player on the market now and, and he wants to come to Detroit. And uh, we had found out that he wanted to play on a, on a team that had a contender. So that was a, that was the last piece I thought of the puzzle when we got Brandon to come in. And, uh, you know, when you look at our team art with guys like McCarty and, and, uh, and Shanahan and, and uh, Marty LaPointe, we had so many good skilled players, but I don't think our players ever worried about uh, playing any style the other team. If we met a team that was going to try to rough us up or try to take us out, uh, intimidate us, we didn't, they, the players knew they had the ammunition to do it. And uh, I think all those pieces coming together was the reason that this team was uh, just molded. We, we needed the goaltending. It was a tough trade too, because we didn't have a lot of uh, defensemen when we got there. And we traded the late Steve Chase on who was a really right. good defenseman. And, uh, you know, Calgary, we, the timing was good because Mike Vernon was in a, a dispute with Doug Risebrow, who was the manager of the, of the Flames at the time. He had played for me in Montreal. And I remember at the draft one day, uh, he, he mentioned the fact that they weren't going to sign, uh, they weren't going to be able to come to terms with Mike Vernon in, in a year from that. But he had a one year left on his contract. So that, that was a, a trade. You know, you trade a... A very good defenseman, but we got a we got a goalie who came in and uh, and Ma he actually uh, helped a lot uh, to make Steve uh, Chris Osgood what he was. But he also won the cup in '97 uh, for us because he you know he was an experienced guy that uh, that had the the, the playoff uh, you know pedigree. You know, you talk about and it's really interesting. I love you. You've always told me the thing that made the Red Wings so good was that. <clears throat> You didn't even have to dictate the style of play. Any any style the opposition wanted to throw at you, you guys could play it. You could play it, and chances are you probably played it better than them, which was obviously a, a, a great advantage. And I, I remember Joe Coaster telling me that when uh, he was in San Antonio, was coming to the Red Wings. Uh, first of all, he said he never was in a, an NH or a, a hockey locker room where, in between periods, they tried to sell the team cowboy boots. But aside from that, he said your first conversation when he became a Red Wing, you told him you didn't want him to fight, you didn't want him to drop the glove. He was part of the Blues Brothers because you, just him being there was a deterrent enough. You actually wanted him, and he always respected you for this. You actually wanted him to play hockey. You wanted him to be a hockey player. Well, he, he had proven, uh, as everyone knows, one of the toughest that ever played in the league. But he also had the he had the hockey sense. Uh, you know, he he became a valuable player. We could use him down the down the stretch in the third period, late in the game. The puck comes up the up the wall. It's going to get out. You know, it's not going to stay in. And uh, that's right. He 
And, you know, I think he was so pleased to get an opportunity to, uh, to come back and play for a team that drafted him originally that, uh, you know, it wasn't always easy because, you know, we had a lot of right wingers at the time. We had Darren McCarty. We had, you know, guys like uh, Ray Shepard, Cicerelli. We had a lot of good players, Marty LaPointe. That's one of the reasons that when when uh, when I got there, we were so strong on right wing, and that was the reason we made the trade to get uh, Igor Larionov. Because if you if you look back, Art in ninety the ninety three tough loss to San Jose was orchestrated because the way Igor had that five man oh, yeah. unit, we we couldn't handle him. And uh, and then when we had a chance to, they uh, I don't know they they were looking for scoring. Ray Shepard was a good goal scorer. He was in the 30s all the time. And but we had excess. We had excess right wingers and and we, you know, able to get able to get Igor. Uh, I didn't envision that we that we get all all the years we did out of him. In fact, if people recall, uh, we let him go for a bit uh, around 2001. He left us and uh, and uh, he was in Florida not not liking where he was they weren't liking that he was playing a certain style and we were we were doing okay but we weren't as good as we were and then all of a sudden uh, uh kenny holland and jimmy put their heads together and, and and called me one day and said what do you think about bringing ecor back and i said well I'd, I'd certainly like like to have him on our team and they they got him i don't know what kind of a trade it was but they they got Igor back and he was instrumental as well we know how good he was before that, and uh, and he was a good man for the for the young Russian players. Uh, both he and Slava Fatisov, their pedigree with the Russian national team, they were icons, still are in Russia. And I think when you look at it, um, the you know the having having Vladimir Konstantinov uh, play with uh, with uh, Slava the first year, and then the unfortunate accident, and the way that. Um, that uh, Slava and he were so 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 close together uh, meant a lot to the team. Uh, then Slava Slava Kozlov was a younger guy, and uh, and I, I give a lot of credit to both uh, Fatisov and uh, and Larionov for the way that they they'd been through the mill with the Russian national team. They had a taste in the NHL. Nothing they wanted more than to put their name on the Stanley Cup and. Uh, and they did certainly, and they were important. And players on our team always uh, have a chance to talk to them. They always they relish the thought that we had a great uh, different type of team that could use the Russian five when we wanted to. They they probably laid the the groundwork for the puck possession team that we needed to be. Right. Well, they certainly did. Uh, I want to go back to your relationship with Steve Eisenman because obviously, and you've been effusive in your praise, he had to change his game, which was not difficult because he was he was Mr. Offense, had over 160 points one season, setting all kinds of offensive records. If he didn't change his game, perhaps what we're talking about right now may have never happened. And you've always said, you know, you give Steve a lot of credit for realizing that, you know, putting up 160 points in a season is great, but if you're going to win, you've got to play both both ends of the ice. Well, we know Steve was, I think, at the time when when they drafted him, and then he was the youngest captain in the NHL for, for quite some time. And he was captain for about 10 years because he, he didn't take him long to put the, to put the C on him when he first got drafted and then 
you know, that we're now we're, we're up to when I got there in 93, he's nearly in his 10th season with, with a tremendous individual. He felt he felt the offense. Uh, he, he was the offense. And I think he felt the way he played. If he didn't produce goals, the team, the team couldn't win. And when I got there, I mean, I, I, I had seen the, the uh, disappointment that they had the year before. And I, we talked about it and the fact that how, to, uh, how did the team not win? And, and that's what happened. Uh, the, the previous year that I got there was an unfortunate uh, season for the Red Wings because uh, I don't know if people remember that, but they played Toronto and they were uh, down in the series three games to two and uh, they played in Toronto and uh, they had to win the game to, to go because Detroit was the high seed. And they played Toronto, and they 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 won seven to four. They scored four power play goals to beat them seven to four and and, and tie the series up. And then they came back to uh, to Detroit for Game Seven, and 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 that game was uh, totally opposite. Uh, they only got one power play. Each team got. I think Detroit got the first penalty of the game. I'm not sure if this and and then um, um, uh, Toronto tied up to score. Mike Foligno. Uh, tied it up in the third period, and that was an unfortunate year where uh, Boroshevsky scored the winner. But there was no power plays in that game, and that showed that as great an offensive team you are, you get into a crunch time, and it's a different type of game. And that's what happened to that year. So when I sat down with Steve and said, you know, if you could, if you could, you know, figure out a way to, you're not going to get uh, the the 60 goals or the 160 points that you got, but you know uh, the team. The team. If you could play defense and 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 sacrifice offense, obviously, and it's not easy for a player to think that way. But I think what happened with Steve is the uh, the fact that they had some real close calls in the uh, late '80s. Uh, they had a good team. They couldn't get by Edmonton. Not nobody else could either. And then uh, the playoff loss the year the, the year before I got there. So uh, the, the, all the uh, you know everything all the boxes were ticked that he wanted to win more than anything so it wasn't much of a conversation i just said steve you know you can do it uh you're, you you know anybody that can score and make plays like you and then he went out there and i mean he was blocking shots he was getting face-offs and of course you're always enjoying it when you're winning and i, I think this turned the corner for our team i know it did and it, it turned the corner on his career because you know, he he went on to win the cups and uh, and uh, become the uh, the captain. Everybody knew he was, and uh, we we were fortunate, like you said earlier. We we could play any style. The, the team never got intimidated. Uh, a, a talent like Nick Lidstrom never had to worry about getting run over, and he was such a great player. He didn't have to even change his style. And uh, you know, it's just that we were so fortunate. Everything fell into place. You know, we picked up Larry Murphy. I, he was with us in Pittsburgh. They let him go when I came to, to Detroit. I think he went to Toronto. He got booed out of Toronto. And it was just a fluke that we got him because Cliff Fletcher called me right at the trade deadline. They were trying to they were trying to reduce money in Toronto. They'd spent a lot of money. And he had another year left. And, uh, you know, I wanted a player for the playoffs. But I said, Cliff, we can't afford to take a player's contract for next year. And just to show how luck plays a big part of it. It wasn't any any smart move on on our part to get uh, to get Larry because 
uh, I said to Cliff, if we take them off your hands for now, you know, we're going to have to split the buyout for the, we'll buy them out next year. And that's true. <laughs> and I, I remember calling, I used to, the, the good thing is though, when, when I was doing those moves, I, I'd call Kenny or, or Jimmy and they never once hedged on any of the, Jimmy would say to me, you think he can really help us? Cause you know, Jimmy saw a lot of games in Toronto and he said, you know, they boot him right off the ice. And I said, Jimmy, I know he's going to come here, but we got better defensemen than they had. And we just clicked, like he put him with Nick Lidstrom. And, and in fact, I was on a coach's call the other day. They were talking about uh, how you need toughness on a, to win in the playoffs. And somebody brought it up, the fact that uh, when we had uh, Nick, Nick was playing with, uh, well, first year he played with uh, Latimer, but the second year, I think I think the second year, no, that would be the third year, we got Larry Murphy. When we got Larry Murphy, it put, put Nick with Larry Murphy, and uh, I think Slava might have been playing. Fatisa was playing with with Konstantinov, and we played uh, we played against uh, Philadelphia. And I I didn't want to I didn't want Lindros running all over Lidstr uh, running all all over uh, uh, our guys. But I said you know he's he's going to get I know he's going to get into confrontation with Latimer Konstantinov because Latimer didn't back away from anybody. So I said I think what we'll do is we'll play Lidstrom and Murphy. And just keep the puck away from from those guys, and they won't be they won't be playing physical. And uh, sure enough, we got through that first series against Philadelphia. And Nick and and Murphy, uh, because I always felt when those guys, when Lidstrom or when a guy like uh, Lindros wants to play tough, he he wants to match up against those kind of guys. And and you know he wasn't gonna he he wasn't gonna be able to get his physical play going. And they were on. With with uh, John Leclerc, he wasn't as physical, but they had Michael Renberg, but they're big guys. And right, uh, the Legion of Doom. Talking, yeah, they were. That's what they were called. But we we were able to stop him because Nick was such a great defenseman, and Murphy could move the puck, and before he could take a hit, the puck was gone. So that kind of curtailed the effect of that team. I I was concerned that uh, I know Latimer, who would not have back away from anybody, and he was physical. You know. Uh, Lindros was such a physical player that uh, he was in his prime at that. We were fortunate, really, Art, to get through that series to win the four games. Uh, in fact, I watched a couple of, in this uh, uh, pandemic thing. I watched a couple of games in Philadelphia, the first couple of games. And I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I'm pretty sure Maltby and Coaster scored, scored goals. Right, right, to help they us were. Win. They were stars. And, 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 and and came home and won four straight. But uh, uh, we were fortunate. A lot of things fell into place, and uh, I was I was very pleased that I was there to to enjoy it. Scotty, I know we're running out of time here, but I want to ask you a couple of more things before we let you go. You're so gracious with your time. I really appreciate it. No, no uh, problem. You were you were right. I I can remember leading up to that Philadelphia series. Everybody was looking forward because Vladdy had a history with Lindros. They were knocking each other out on the ice all the time. So everyone's thinking yeah. the Legion of Doom versus Vladdy. And what do you end up doing? You end up putting Murph and 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 Nick. And I've talked to both Nick and Murph about it. They were as surprised as anybody that they were matched up against the Legion of Doom. It certainly worked out for the Red Wings. And you know, I, I I'm kind of curious. Uh, I remember when you got Larry Murphy, you you came and you, you know, I was covering the team, obviously, back then. And you said, hey, we acquired Larry Murphy from Toronto. And all the media were kind of looking at each other because you're right. You know, he wasn't very popular in Toronto at the time. 
and we're like, oh, oh really, Larry Murphy? And and you said, listen, he's going to help us. He's really, really going to help us. And as usual, you are one hundred percent correct. Murph, you know, was was a great player for the Red Wings. Well, you know, one thing with Murph, he could move the puck, and he it became such a perfect fit. And 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 uh, I, I've often been surprised the the amount of time. And that was another thing about I knew that Pittsburgh or that I knew that Philadelphia was going to play the Lindros line as much as they could. Well, when you get a player like Lidstrom, uh, Nick Nick thrived on the thirty minute, twenty seven, twenty eight minute games. He just he he just knew. I mean, he could right. get out there every second shift. He could control that part of the game. So I knew going into that series that I mean we need Nick to play between 27 and 28 minutes maybe even 30 and uh, and and Murph was right along with him so that was one thing with uh, with Nick is that uh, his career was such an amazing I just finished reading his book and uh, it was it just amazing how when, when you look at the stats he 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 put up for for the Red Wings uh, even long after I was there and you know to play as long as he did, and miss no games. It just was amazing. Right. I, I count them up one year. It was less than thirty games, and about half of them was resting up towards the playoffs. But he never got injured. And you know, uh, I, 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 I talked to Jimmy a lot about the great players that Detroit has had in their in their whole history, and and that's what he kept saying to me. He said, "You know, Scotty, I wish he would have played a couple more years. He could have, yeah. you know, but uh, he's still. Uh, I mean, uh, as far as defensemen goes, go in the league. I don't. I mean, we we know how the the top ones were always talked about: Eddie Shore, then followed by Doug Harvey, followed by Nick Lidstrom, and then uh, followed by um, uh, there was uh, Orr, and then Harvey is uh, yeah, Orr was the third one." Because it was right. uh, it was Eddie Eddie Shore and then Doug Harvey and, and Red Kelly had to be considered, but he was more a different type of he was an offensive type. The late Red Kelly was a great player right. for Detroit, but then Bobby Orr came along, and there's been no comparisons to oh Bobby Orr, but we've you know we've had we've had the the uh, Ray Borks and Dennis Potvin, we've had Paul Coffey's, you know we've had a lot of good defensemen come along, but boy oh boy I mean. Nick Lidstrom, I mean, to, to do what he did in a career, unfortunately, I don't think Nick will ever, I mean, he doesn't care about it, and I, and I know it doesn't matter to him, but I don't think we ever give the credit uh, that was due. I mean, he got credit by winning Norris trophies, but, you know, when you talk about the great players in the NHL, uh, I was fortunate to be with many uh, I think I counted the other day, Art, there's 42 players that, that I was fortunate to be with that are in the Hall of Fame. They're not in the wow. Hall of Fame because of me. They're in the Hall of Fame because of the way they played. But Nick <laughs> and Steve Eiserman and, uh, and you know, another player that I always felt in Detroit that meant so much to us, and he proved it when he came back, is Sergei Fedorov. Uh, oh, no doubt. He's, he, he's, there's no doubt. I mean, when I... When I see the hockey today, and I watch the great players, and I, I see when you, you don't you don't notice it when you're there. And I remember uh, one thing with the, the, the you know reading uh, reading about Don Shula, who I've really adored as a as a coach. I mean, the two coaches I, I mean I adored a lot of coaches, but my 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 mentor Toe Blake was one of a kind. But 
then when you go into Al Arbor and, and uh, Don Shula, these players, uh, these coaches coached their team for over 20 seasons. They didn't move around. I mean, to coach the same team, and, and that's, a, that's quite a thing, but Don, Don Shula said something uh, once at a dinner I was at, and they asked him about his players and everything, and he said the one regret that he had as a coach was never I never was able to tell my players how great they were and and that's the I've always had that in my mind when I when I see guys like Fedorov and Lidstrom and 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 Iserman you know when you're coaching you don't you don't praise players you try to get to play the best of their ability but boy when I when I look back with my days in Detroit and I see Fedorov and Iserman and and the other Hall of Fame I think, I think the last team that we had when I was there, I mean, my last team in 02, there was nine nine players. I tried to count them the other day, and right. there was Dominic was the goalie. There was uh, on defense. There was three because uh, well, well, we had we had uh, Ch uh, Chris Chelios, and 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 then we had uh, Slava Fatisov and Nick L Nick Lidstrom, and then you go to the line that we used in that playoff. Uh, in the finals, especially, we had uh, Sergey Fedorov with uh, Brendan Shanahan and Steve Eiserman, and then and then we had uh, besides that they didn't play as a line, but we had um, uh, uh, Igor Larionov. Uh, uh, he played, you know, with uh, with uh, 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 Thomas Holmstrom and and then and and, and and Luke Robitaille and Igor and, and Robitaille in the playoffs, and the one I keep forgetting about. And he's going to be in, although I, he doesn't need anybody, and he votes for me, and he'll be the 10th member, Pavel Dotsuk. So there'll be 10, right. 10 players. And, and I know my great teams in Montreal, I have a hard, hard time deciding which are the greatest teams of all time. And Ken Dryden wrote a book about it, and uh, it was hard to go against the stats. But we had the, the Montreal team in 76, uh, 77, they had nine. But I mean, our, our team in uh, Detroit had, uh, you know, and, and when you think about it, you also got to count Jimmy Devolano, who's in the Hall of Fame. And I understand that Ken Holland is pretty close. I don't think his career is <laughs> far from over. So, you know, that team is special because of the players uh, that made it. Uh, it was a team. They still talk about that team uh, in 02 because, uh, you know, I mean, imagine adding Brett Hull and, and Luke Robitaille. Kenny Holland did all that. Uh, another guy that's never going to get the credit he deserved. It was tough the way that he, he had to go out of Detroit. But I think Kenny knew that, you know, you can only stay so long in a place and they needed a rebuild. And he's gone on to great things in Edmonton. And the Red Wings got Steve Eiserman, who I always felt deserved to be in Detroit. And I, I, I know when Steve went to uh, Tampa, I had talked with uh, the owner, um, Jeff Vinnick had called me up and it's this cute story. He, he wanted, I had lunch with him and he asked me, he wondered if he should hire a general manager. There was about three or four that were out of, uh, uh, that had been in the league for some time, but weren't working. Or should he pick a secondary guy that's working and training? And I didn't know who he was talking about. And I said, well, that's, he said, I'm not in a rush to build a team. I, I've got a, I got enough time. He said, I just want to pick somebody and I want to be competitive and I might take five, six years. And then the name he brought up was Steve. He said, well, you know, Steve Eiserman. And I said, yeah, but he's not leaving Detroit. 
I said, he's, he's like, another, he's like another son. I said, you know, you, you, you couldn't get a better man, but I said, he's, uh, he's, he's worked under uh, Ken Holland. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's not a, a, a an ex player that has had, had good contracts. It's going to loaf. But I said, it's, no, he's not leaving. The next thing you know, he ends up in Tampa <laughs> and I was there to watch his, I, I watched him for 10 years. I mean, I watched him build a team and I, I think that's what they're, they're going to, he's going to do it. He's going to do it his way and he's going to be patient and it's not going to happen overnight. And uh, I mean, it was proven last year to Steve. Uh, see, Steve is the kind of uh, manager that I, I always cherished and I worked under one, Sam Pollock. They, mm -hmm. they, and Ken Holland was the same. They like to go and look at players. They like to value and evaluate players. I mean, Ken Holland was a scout for the Red Wings and all those players that they drafted, he would be instrumental in that. And and Steve, he went last year and drafted this player that, I mean, teams had him in the first round, uh, Seidel, the defenseman, the German. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, yeah. he saw him play and said, we're, we're taking Seidel. If I get my choice, I'm taking him. And, I think if if it's gonna, it's unfortunate. It takes time to rebuild, and uh, that's what the fans in Detroit. I mean, it's it's tough when you're trying to sell it. But I know it took Tampa about five six years before they got going again. They were at rock bottom when Steve took over. And I look back at other teams, and you know, I'm with Chicago. My son is there now. They're struggling to re to rebuild a. A very historic franchise, and 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 Los Angeles is doing the same thing. So you know, you you don't stay up very long. Uh, you you know you want to you want to stay up and you want to win, which which is not easy. But it takes a while to rebuild that franchise. And uh, when you're getting a pl one player every thirty one picks and going to go to thirty two in a couple of years, you know you got to make sure that those picks are the right picks. And uh, that's what Steve did in Tampa. I mean, so many of their players drafted in late rounds, like Kucherov, and you know, yeah, yes, uh, Stead, uh, Hedman and Stamkos were were one and two, but they got players on that team were free agents. They got players right. that weren't drafted in the first round that are now players that other teams couldn't get in a trade. Right, and taking Vasilevsky with uh, you know in the first round, nineteenth overall, in a pick, ironically, he got from Detroit for. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, Kyle Quincy. So, uh, you know, uh, Scotty, I could go on all day. You know, I could keep talking to you. There's so many more questions. We're going to have to have you back on the headliner again. I really, really oh, okay. appreciate it. And I, I can't thank you enough. And I, and I, I want to say this to you. I've said it to you before. You have done so much for me personally in my career uh, when I was covering the Red Wings. I am I am so thankful, not only that I got to know you, I admired you as a coach. I love those Montreal teams. Ken Dryden was one of my idols when I was growing up, and uh, uh, I just appreciate you taking time. I've always enjoyed your company. Thank you very, very much for being part of the headliner today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Art, and uh, good luck to your Tuesday and Thursday, uh, you know, on Woodward Avenue, because uh, words on Woodward, I'll try to – I'll try to find it somewhere. Thanks, Art. Nice talking to you. My pleasure, Scotty. You take care of yourself. Thank you very, very much.